Uh, Brad mentioned my name is Billy Meenan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Highlands. It's fun to say that for the first time. (laughs) Our passage this morning uh, is Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 7, if you want to go ahead and and turn there. Uh, As as Pastor Khan preached to us last week, uh, the book of Isaiah is a book of prophecy. It's a book talking about what was going to happen in the future of those who are receiving it. And it's also a book of judgment. Um, The Israelites were were going to be judged. They're going to be punished for not fearing the Lord, for not fearing the word of God and and, and following his authority. And so Isaiah is bringing them the warning of what is coming. But along with the warning and along with this comes a promise. Because God is not satisfied to leave his people in their just punishment. Though it is just, he is not satisfied to leave them there. And so our passage today is about the promise. Leading up to this, uh, chapter 8 is all about what's going to happen. This judgment, this darkness that's going to come upon them. But now we receive the good news. That there is light that will be coming And even though this is a book of prophecy, even though this is going to happen, it's written in the past tense um, as if it has already happened because the certainty of this happening, it's going to happen. It's written in the past tense, even though it hasn't happened yet, because this is the word of God. This is going to happen. And this is a passage of contrast. We're going to see a lot of contrasting happening here. Um, The biggest one is going to be the darkness to the light. So we're going to read through this and we're going to look at some of these contrasts. So um, let me pray for us, and then we'll read our passage. Heavenly Father, what a blessing, what a joy, and what a privilege it is to be here today as the people of God, to sing praises to you, to pray to you, and to read your word. Lord, I thank you for your word. Be with us now as we open your word. I pray that you'd open our ears and soften our hearts so we would not simply hear your word, but we would receive it today. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, Read with me now, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 1. So this is after he has given the punishment that's coming. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness... Have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy, and they rejoice before you, as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden, for the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken, as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in the battle tumult, And every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
The zeal of the Lord hosts will do this. This is the word of our Lord. So as I said, this is a passage of contrast. And we're going to look at a couple of these contrasts here that are a part of this promise. We're going to look at the contrast of darkness to light. We're going to look at the contrast of anguish to peace. And then finally, we're going to look at this notion of vulnerability to powerful. But our third point actually isn't a contradiction. All right, darkness to light. We have here the description of the Israelites who are going to experience great darkness. Um, This is referring to, amongst other things, Assyrian captivity. The Assyrians were a very powerful country uh, that came in and took over this land. You see it described there as this land of Galilee. And they come in and they take it and they actually deport many of the Israelites. So they're living in captivity. This is the darkness that they're going to be living in. And this punishment, as I said, it's, it's for not fearing God. It's, it's a command directly to, to the kings and, and to the leadership that they're not fearing the authority of God. They're fearing men instead of God. Darkness is always used in Scripture to describe bad situations. Sin, death, suffering, punishment. Uh, In Psalm 130, we hear the psalmist crying out that he is waiting for Jesus like a watchman who waits for the morning. And you can understand a watchman is a person who's standing at guard at night. It's his responsibility to do his best to look out at the darkness and see the dangers before they come. That first ray of sunlight is the greatest thing he's ever ever seen. Because that means that those hidden dangers are no longer hidden. And you can see what's coming up. Darkness is unknown. Darkness is unsafe. Darkness is scary. If you've ever read a novel or watched a scary movie, when do the bad things happen? It's at night. Because at night, it's the unknown you know, you're laying in your bed and you hear, you hear a scratching on your window. That's obviously not the branch of a tree. That's some intruder. You hear the house creaking. That's not the wind. That's someone trying to get you. But during the day, you see that branch. You say, oh, that's just a branch. Oh, the house is creaking because of the wind. We get that. Darkness is kind of scary. And the Bible uses that as an illustration of what sin is. Sin is the darkness. The punishment of evil, the punishment of sin, that is the darkness that we experience. But God says, for those who are in the darkness, for those who are experiencing that fear, the light will be shined on them. And in verse 2, we get a clue as as to where this light is going to come from when Isaiah mentions how Galilee, this land that that is now in the darkness, will be made glorious. Now, Galilee should sound familiar Because Jesus spent a lot of his time, a lot of his ministry in Galilee. In fact, if you read in Matthew chapter 4, he confirms that this prophecy is referring to the fact that Jesus started his public ministry in Galilee. This land that was once in darkness. So this light, this light is the gospel. It's the truth of salvation through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is that knowledge, it is that truth, it is that gospel that is the light that saves the world. Darkness to light, ignorance to knowledge, uncertainty to certainty. Jesus brings this light and he starts in Galilee. 
This place that is under darkness. So what is this light? What is this light that Jesus brings? He go, we go here and we read through verse, uh, verses 3 and 4 that talks about, if you go there with me, uh, multiplying joy and the joy of the harvest and how they will be glad because the yoke of the bird and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressors have been broken as on the day of Midian. Isaiah is alluding back to a time in the Israelite history when uh, the Midianites were a very powerful nation that again had put Israel into oppression. They were oppressing them. And they were doing that because they had the cutting-edge technology of camels. And these camels, what they would allow them to do is that they could go for a very long way to attack and then retreat back. And so what they were doing to the Israelites is that every year at harvest time, they would swoop down upon them, take all their harvest, and leave because they had access to these camels. And so you can imagine the oppression that the Israelites were experiencing if year after year after year their harvest is stolen from them. That's darkness. The Israelites were left starving, hungry, unsure of what the future holds on the verge of death. But God raises up a man named Gideon. And he commands Gideon to take the army and to go attack these Midianites, these very powerful nations. But along the way, he says, this is too many people. There's too many people here. God, this needs to be clear that God is doing this. So he eliminates them once, and then he eliminates them twice. They go all the way down to just 300 people. Gideon takes 300 people to attack the most powerful nation in that area. And he does so by a very miraculous way. He tells... Gideon and his army to surround the Midianites at night. And with them, they bring torches that they hide under jars. And at the appointed time, they break the jars and they pull out the torches and they scream and they blow trumpets and they make a lot of noise. And what happens, the Midianites, who are in, this is in the middle of the night, they rush out of their tents and they actually start fighting against each other and they defeat themselves by these 300 men that were surrounding them. This victory was to show that it is God and God alone who delivers his people. It is God alone that can allow for 300 people to defeat the most powerful army in the world. And you can see what he's talking about there. He's talking about the joy of the harvest. This contrast of going from starvation to a harvest feast. He talks about being treated like a beast of burden to the yoke being lifted off of their shoulders to weightlessness. Verse 5, he says that they're going to experience peace. They're going to experience peace from battle and oppression and war. He says the boots of those who are oppressed, the battle garments that are covered in the blood of those who are being oppressed will be burned in the fire because there will be no more war against them. There will be peace. There will be harvest. There will be joy. There will be rest from their labor. And how is he going to do this? Verse 6, the greatest verse that we can read for to us a child is born to us a son is given and the government shall be upon his shoulder this child this child that is will be born says that the government will be upon his shoulders it's interesting to note that the yoke of oppression 
is removed from our backs only when the yoke of authority is put on Jesus. It is under the authority of Jesus, it is under his government that our oppressions are removed from us. Our peace is given to us. And how is he going to do this? How is this child going to do that? Well, we get, again, some clues here in the names of Jesus. We read them in our, in our call to worship as well. We have wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace. Let's look at these words. He's called wonderful, this child. His greatness transcends and exceeds the limits of our human understanding. He is a counselor. He is wise. He is wise beyond all human understanding because he brings with him his spirit of wisdom. His spirit of wisdom in contrast to the foolishness of human thinking. But not only is he a wonderful counselor, but he is mighty. He is mighty God. This word that's translated there, it, it talks about heroic power. In this child, in King Jesus, we have the perfect combination of wisdom and power. You have, we have to have both of those because power without wisdom leads to destruction. Wisdom without power leads to apathy or inactivity or ineffectiveness. King Jesus alone, this child, King Jesus alone is all-powerful and all-wise to rule with justice and love for his people. But not only that, he's described as the everlasting father. Not only is he all-powerful and all-wise, but he is a king of relationship. He is a king that cares for his people like a father. Psalm 68 tells us that that God is the father to the fatherless and the protector of widows. God does not stand off at a distance. He cares for his people. We're celebrating the Advent time, the time when we look forward to the birth of Jesus Christ, to celebrate this time. And Christmas is a joyful time. It's a happy time. It's a time when we celebrate the birth of Jesus. It's a time of joy and celebration and spending time with family and loved ones. A time that we look forward to throughout the year. But for some, and really many of us, the holidays are a difficult time. A time when we are painfully reminded that someone we love cannot be with us to celebrate. Uh, last year, Al Moeller, who's the president of the uh, Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, posted, uh, he published an article on Christmas Eve that, said, that was entitled, Am Them That Mourn? Celebrating Christmas in the Face of Sorrow. And in that article, he asks and answers the question, is the Advent and Christmas celebration for those who are suffering? How do we experience this this time that is normally joyful and celebratory in family when we're suffering? Is Christmas for those who suffer? He starts by describing uh, the joy of Christmas, and then he writes this. I I couldn't paraphrase it, so I'm just going to read you a portion of what he says. 
He says, and yet the sentiment and joy of the season is often accompanied by very different emotions and memories. At some point, every Christian home is invaded by the pressing memory of loved ones who can no longer gather, of empty chairs and empty arms and aching hearts. For some, the grief is fresh, suffering the death of one who was so very present at the Christmas gathering last year, but is now among the saints resting in Christ. For others, it is the grief of loss suffered long ago. We grieve the absence of parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and siblings. Some with the grief almost too great to bear suffer the heartbreak that comes from the death of a child. Is Christmas also for those who grieve? Yes, Christmas is especially for those who grieve. The Apostle Paul writing to the Galatians reminds us that the fact that we are born as slaves to sin, darkness. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And out of the darkness came light. As the prophet Isaiah foretold, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who walk in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. The same Christ is the Messiah who, as Isaiah declared, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He fully identifies with and shares all our afflictions. He came that we might know the only resurrection from death, sorrow, grief, and sin. Your loved one was not created and given the life, the gift of life, merely for that chair now empty. Those who are in Christ were created for eternal glory. We must train our sentiments to lean into that truth. And we must know that Christmas is especially for those who grieve. That chair may be empty now, but heaven will be full. Remember, above all else, that those who are in Christ, though dead, celebrate Christmas with us just upon another shore and in a greater life. Christmas is for those who mourn because it's the news of Jesus Christ. It is only in Jesus Christ that we are able to celebrate through our mourning, in our mourning, in our pain. Because it is only Jesus who brings us from anguish to peace. Jesus came to earth as a child. Jesus came to earth to experience the life that we experience. He lived in the same broken world. He experienced rejection, isolation, the loss of loved ones. And this is no accident. Because He came to redeem us from those very things. That brings us to the final name that he has described there. The Prince of Peace. He's able to do this because he alone is the Prince of Peace. This is the Hebrew word shalom. This is one of those words that just does not translate directly. And we just cannot fully describe this word shalom with one word. Shalom. Shalom means completeness, wholeness, internal well-being, 
contentment, prosperity, harmony, and the absence of conflict. These are all things that we cannot fully attain on earth. These are all the things that we cannot attain on our own. These are things that we cannot conjure up in and of ourselves. It is only through Jesus, this child that has been given to us, that came as a vulnerable child, this prince of peace, of shalom. So we have this contrast of darkness to light, from anguish to peace. Then we get to our final uh, contrast, this, this idea of vulnerability to powerful, but it's actually not a contrast. We have one more name, we have one more description of this child, and it's at the very end. It says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Lord of hosts, what does that mean? The Lord of hosts. Hosts is referring to the angelic army of God. We, we read that earlier, uh, in, or we sang that earlier, the Lord of angels. We are surrounded by an angelic host, an angelic army. And Jesus is the Lord of that army. Jesus is the Lord of hosts. The angelic army that subdues and destroys evil. When we think of who Jesus is, when we think of who, how he came to earth, around Christmas time we think of the baby Jesus. And an infant is the most vulnerable human form that he could have taken, entirely dependent on its caregivers. This is something that you can't truly experience until you have your own infant in your hands and you realize it's completely up to me. This infant, this noodle-necked infant that can't even hold up their own head is so vulnerable. This is how Jesus came to us. He came to us in this form, as vulnerable as he possibly could be. But this child is no ordinary infant. In this vulnerable nursing infant is earth-shattering, history-changing power. In this infant is the salvation of the world. Though he has this power, he came to us to live the vulnerable, afflicted, sorrowful, painful life in order to redeem us, in order to rescue us from this darkness. Here's the most amazing thing, or not the most amazing thing, another amazing thing about Jesus. Though he had that power, never once did he draw upon it to alleviate his own suffering. When you look at, at the accounts of, of his, and when he's wandering in the desert for the, and, he, and, and Satan comes and tempts him, part of what he's tempting Jesus to do is to draw upon his divine power to eliminate his human suffering. He refuses. He came to suffer. 
Isaiah calls him the suffering servant because that's what he came to do. This infant, this child, the greatest power that has ever come, and not once did he alleviate his own suffering. Jesus is so powerful that he saved the world, not through his power, but through his weakness, through his death. Think about that. Our God, our Jesus, is so powerful that he saved the world in his weakness. Our God is so great. This child that was given to us is so great. He saved us through his weakness, through his death. And he did so willingly. He came to earth knowing that he was going to do that for us. So here we don't have a contrast We actually have a paradox. This vulnerable and powerful in this child alone is both. It is only because he is who he is that we are saved. And that we are able to to be joyful in our grief. Now, this passage is telling us a lot of things. One of the biggest things that this passage tells us is that this isn't as good as it gets. What we are experiencing now isn't as good as it gets. Times like Christmas and times where we have time to set aside for celebrations are wonderful times. Times that we get to spend with family. Times that we get to spend with the body of Christ. They are a blessing. And they are a joy. And we enjoy them. And we're called to enjoy them. But that's not as good as it gets. Your best day is merely a shadow of the greatness that awaits us. Merely a shadow of the greatness that Jesus died for. We too have prophecy. We have prophecy in Scripture that has not yet to come true. And that's the prophecy of when Jesus will return. And just as Isaiah writes to the people then in the past tense, we also have the book of Revelation that describes what's going to happen at the end times when Jesus returns. We too are waiting for Jesus. Let me close. My gift to you is a very short sermon this morning. We're going to close with Revelation 21. This is the prophecy of Jesus coming back. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Here's the beautiful part. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. 
This is the reality of the child that was given to us. There will be a day when there is no more pain, when there is no more death, there is no more cancer, there is no more loss, there is no more loneliness, because we will receive the perfect shalom, completeness, wholeness. Dear friends, enjoy Christmas. Celebrate Christmas. Remember those who mourn. Reach out to those who are suffering. Share this joy. Share this bounty that we've been given. But hope. Christmas is a time of hope. Christmas is a time of looking forward when there will be no more pain. Let me close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank You that You sent Jesus. I thank You that You were not satisfied to leave us in the just punishment that we deserved. That You sent Jesus as a vulnerable child to live the life that we lived, to experience ultimate rejection and ultimate isolation. When He died on the cross to take Your wrath in our place. Lord, I pray that You would make that real to us, especially during this time. Lord, I pray for for those of us who are struggling with this, who are struggling with doubt, who may not be convinced. Lord, I pray that You would pierce their hearts with Your truth, with the light of the knowledge that Jesus Christ died for us. Lord, help us to look forward to that hope, to that shalom, to that wholeness, that completeness that comes only in Jesus. Help us to understand that this isn't as good as it gets. It gets much better. Lord, I thank you for everything that you've given to us. I pray that you would allow for us to to celebrate and be joyful. But give us comfort. Give us peace. Alleviate our suffering during this time as well. Lord, I pray that in all that we would do, we would seek to glorify you in the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. In the name of Jesus, we pray.